The following is a presentation of Muddy River Sports. Happy New Year and welcome to the new Muddy River Breakdown. I'm Muddy River Sports Editor Matt Shuckman. It is 2023 and we're bringing back the Muddy River Breakdown podcast with a new co-host alongside me. The magical one, Ben Marth. What's up, buddy? How are you, Shuck? Thanks for having me, man. It's awesome to have you in here with us. Really looking forward to this. We're going to do this on a weekly basis, break down all kinds of different things, and uh, talk a little basketball first off this week, but uh, who knows where we'll go with this week in and week out. That's what's so beauty about a a podcast, being able to kind of just kind of go with the flow, have a topic to talk about, have folks hopefully interact and want want us maybe to to talk about a certain topic, maybe have questions for us. Well, I I think that's the thing we're going to have to do at the end of this each week is throw out, okay, if you have a question for us, here's how to reach out to us. Um, And we'll, we'll, if you send us a question next week, we'll address it. We'll do it. We'll do it. The mailbag. I like that. I like that. The muddy river breakdown mailbag. I like it. I I think this, 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 you know, is enables me to, to, to kind of, kind of a little bit get back into the game, yeah. so to speak, and to kind of follow teams. Well, you coaches. were you were such a part of the local sports scene for so many years, um, and then stepped away for for family reasons, for personal reasons, for you know, for your kids. Yeah, you, you wanted to watch them play sports. You watched so many other kids play sports. You wanted to watch your own kids play sports, right? Which was very important. And it's and that, I know how much you've enjoyed that. Uh, I know how much I've enjoyed watching your kids play sports, but this is a way to dabble back into that local sports scene and, and be a part of, uh, the muddy buddy community. And I love my, my day job and that's, uh, and that's, that's certainly nice, but it's also obviously after hours to be able to kind of, yeah. kind of, kind of be back sort of in, 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 in the, in the gym. Yeah, at the field, being able to interact with people like yourself and coaches and people that you develop relationships right. over a long period of time and reestablish those in a way and kind of reintroduce yourself to some people maybe you haven't spoken to in a long time yep. and being able to write and stuff like that stuff I enjoy. And it's it's great to have you part of this and I, I'm glad you were willing and wanting to to take this on. Um only for you so far nobody else (laughs) you're about the only person i would say yes to well i appreciate that and it's uh it's been fun so far and it's only going to get better this is our first episode together it is so we're going to have a lot of fun we're going to do a list a lot but right now we need to talk basketball because uh we're in the the middle of basketball season we're coming off the holiday tournaments um i know you were paying attention to what was going on is there anything that jumped out at you from the holiday tournaments that you went, ooh, I want to talk about that. I First off, Quincy High School getting to the championship game of such an established yep. state tournament like they did down in Collinsville, right? right? I mean, getting to the championship game, taking on an undefeated MacArthur team. First time they'd played in the championship game since 2012. Yeah. Still haven't won a title there in 25 years. Mm-hmm. 1997 was the last time they won the championship there. Right. One, of, one of four they have won there. You're not supposed to be as a as and I'm not really a full fledged media member, but again, you're not supposed to be rooting or cheering for certain teams. But you kind of cheer for a team like that who gets to the championship game. You want to win it. It's like get yeah. It's like a team getting to the state championship game. Yeah. It makes the story. It makes everything better. Okay, if let, they win it. let's be completely honest here. Yes, we are quote unquote unbiased, objective in our jobs. Right. You'll never see me wear the colors of the team I'm covering or the logo or anything like that. But let's face it. It doesn't matter what level you're covering a team at, whether it's professional, college, high school, whatever. 
the team you're covering, when they have success, it's more fun to do our job. Yeah. It's, it's more entertaining for our readers, our listeners, our viewers. Um, if you're covering a team that struggles, and I have. I've covered some, you know, <laughs> back in the day with some Mizzou football teams that were pretty bad. Right. You know, um, it, it's not a lot of fun. It, it, it gets hard. It gets hard to keep the, the reader, the listener, the viewer entertained. Yeah. Because um, this, is this isn't an entertainment business. Yes, we are providing news, but the sports page is entertaining. It's meant to be entertaining. Sports are meant to be entertaining. When we sit down and watch a game, we want to be entertained. So if the local teams we cover are having success, it makes our job easier, it makes our job better, and it makes our product better. Yeah. It's just a fact. Yeah, I mean, it makes you excited to go to the gym. It makes fans yeah. excited to be out there. It makes everything just a little bit easier. It makes more fun to write about all of that kind of So we're not openly want. rooting, like especially when a team's in the middle of a game. Yeah. But it does make it life better. When, when teams have success. I would never say we on a broadcast. I no. would never cheer openly for a team on a broadcast. But again, um, there are subtle ways in which you can kind of root for a team without you know blatantly rooting yeah. for a team on the air or in print or whatever I, it may be. Um, that, to me, stood out to me for them to get. I, we knew they were going to be a, a, you know, a, a state-ranked caliber basketball team this year. For them to get to the championship game of that yeah. and be so close against an undefeated MacArthur team um, was was I think number one to me, um, you know number two on the on the holiday side of things would would see Southeastern losing twice um, on the you know believe on the same day yes. um, Southeastern you know a team that came in undefeated um, and then on the flip side seeing Camp Point Central and the way they're able to they're they're my most fun team to see so far this season. There's a they have a lot of people excited about what they're capable of, what they can do. They really get after it defensively, yeah, uh, which is yes. one of the big things. And they get up and down the floor. You know, we've seen central teams in the past under James Barnett that it's a very low scoring. It's a very methodical game. This isn't so much. They you know they they attack, um, and they use their experience, their athleticism, and their speed, which I think is a translation from football. And you, you you watch what Brad Dixon has done with that central football program. They're not real big, but they are fast. They you know, uh, sprint based football. Yeah, you know, is they what, play with purpose. They I play mean, with if you purpose. see them, they they there's a, there's a purpose to everything they do. Yep. Very veteran led, obviously. When you talk about guys like Nick Moore and Isaac Gennenbacher and, and other guys, Wiz Kirkin has, had a, Wiz nice, Kirkin, yep. has had a nice last couple of games. To see those guys and Eiler, I mean, to see those guys perform well like yes. they have. Uh, on a basketball court, we know about the success on football. It's been year after year after year. Right. Basketball, I don't know. There's so about them. Watching them, it's blue collar. It's purpose. It's it's we're going to get out and guard you. You know, well, 80, 80 feet from the basket. And, we kind of you know. knew this was coming. They won. I think they went nineteen and nine last year. Was their final record? But they took Liberty to overtime. They battled with Brown County, which was a very good team last year, down to the wire. Um, their only hiccup was they didn't do well in regionals. But I think you saw how competitive they were with the best teams in the area last year, and you went, everybody's back, basically. Yeah. And they, they lost Keaton Dickhoot, was basically the one player off that of that starting five that they lost, and it was like, okay, they got a lot coming back. Are they this year's Liberty? And that was kind of the thought going in. Because Southeastern was going to be Southeastern again. They were really good last year. With Danny Stevens healthy, you knew there was a chance they could make a run. But is there was there a team, a senior-laden team like Liberty last year? 
that you knew, okay, they're going on a run. They've got experience. They've got talent. They've got depth. That's Central this year. Um, and the other side is we talked about Central boys, but the Central Southeastern girls yeah. Yeah, that's a should have everybody too. talking right now. Yeah. You know, you, you knock off in succession the number two, number three, and number one seeds in the State Farm Holiday Classic and win the championship at the, you know, the small school girls bracket. Paris was undefeated in the team they played in the championship. Matt Long told me in the night before the championship game, he called him a monster, called him a beast. And he goes, I don't know if Q&D, if they couldn't beat Q&D on, the given, on a given night. Wow. Um, he, th- he thought that highly of them. You know, Notre- Quincy Notre Dame is the number one ranked team in Class 2A, defending state champion. Um, Central Southeastern had already lost to, to Quincy Notre Dame, one of its two losses. And it was like, okay. And he was, I mean, you could just hear it in his voice how much respect he had for Paris. And then they come out and go up nine to two out of the gate. Abby McMillan hits three threes, and they're off and running. And then they made plays down the stretch. It was impressive to watch the, the, the kind of plays they made to win that game. And it was like, wow, okay. And, you know, they're 12 and two going into the new year, coming off a tournament championship. They're going to turn around next week and play in the Central. Lady Panther Classic, right, or the CSE Classic, however they've rephrased the, the title of it. But you got Unity there. You've got Brown County there, and you've got Illini West there. Yeah. So if they, if they would win that, or whoever wins that is going to earn it. Another team, Unity Girls, yeah. winning the, the Lady Tiger Classic yep. in Beardstown and, you know, and, and doing it in the fashion that they did. Wow. Um, very impressive. Brown County had a nice run. Um, obviously there at yeah. uh, Quincy Notre Dame boys had a nice run in the state farm yeah, holiday went, went three and one, three and one. but beat I mean, good teams. Yeah. But the, the team, they, uh, Bishop Mack was 13 and two, I believe when they, when they beat them. Yeah. So I think that's, and there's signs that they could get some help, right? I don't know if you if you follow social media all that close, but there was a post of Jake Wallingford dunking. Yeah. looked pretty fluid. Looked pretty good. So yeah. I don't, I don't know what his prospects are for how soon he might return. If at all. You know, we'll see how the medical side goes. But three months after having hip surgery, he looks good. He does, and that's an instant. I mean, you put him in the mix, I mean, and all you, of a sudden the dynamic changes oh my. greatly. Who, who else is going to add a 6'8 kid right. with that kind of skill who's getting looks from Division II colleges to the mix in January or February or whenever that might happen? Correct. That's a big boost. I mean, a team that usually State Farm Holiday Classic is the turning point for Notre Dame. They usually go one way or the other. More times than not, it's positive. They've had a lot of success there. You you start trending upward. You know, you got Pittsfield coming up this weekend. You start trending upward, and then all of a sudden you add, you know, Jake Wallingford to the mix. I mean, all of a sudden you look like like what we thought they would look like at the beginning of this season, a state tournament contender. Yeah, and and I think we're going to see this weekend. Can they carry it over? So they, they go three and one at the State Farm Holiday Classic, get fifth win fifth place. Now they have three games this weekend in succession. Thursday on the road at Western. Let's face it, Curtis Stout does a really nice job with the Western program, but they're extremely young, and Notre Dame should go down there and win. Correct. Okay. Then you bring Pittsfield to the pit on Friday night. Brad Tomey, another team that will be extremely well coached, will battle its butt off defensively. And can can give you a fight, and then you go to Highland for the Highland Shootout, where you play Highland early morning. I think it's ten a.m. game or ten thirty a.m. To and, you know, so you're gonna have a game Friday night, turn around, get on a bus, go to Highland, and play that morning. Yeah, 
Not easy. Not easy task. <laughs> no. So if they come, if, if they carry over and have a good weekend, imagine the boost that gives them. Right. And a team that needed a boost. I mean, no a question. team that was sluggish uh, in mid-December. You know, I watched them play Camp Point Central, oh. and a lot of people left that gym shaking their head as to the direction of where this team was heading. Well, that was one of three straight losses by 17 points or more. Yeah. Palmyra, Central, and Quincy High. Quincy High one was expected. Yes. You know. The other two weren't. And so I think there were a lot of people frustrated, a lot of people concerned. Um, some of those concerns have been alleviated. I think the boys have played better together. And it, it just you can hear it you know, when you talk to them or see them. You see a, a, a little more bounce in them. You know, they, I think they have figured some things out um, along the way, which is good. Let me throw an underrated team, a team maybe that's off the radar a little bit right, right. now that also won a tournament championship during the holidays, Pace and Seymour boys yeah. with Tyler Dushinsky at the helm. I mean, this is a team that, again, the MVIT, you know, it's a tournament. They they went there and took control and took, and took, took right. care of business, you know, and they win the championship of that team. And that's a team that's won, I think, you know, double-digit wins at this point. Right. I mean, you know, that's slowly put together a nice season. Well, I think they lost some key pieces from last year, some seniors. So it was like, okay, who's going to fill some some roles? And they're finding that. And obviously, they have a, a good leader in Brian Deeker, who was MVP of the MVIT, uh, one hellacious football player, <laughs> but but just a physically tough kid who carries that over to the basketball court. Um, and it, it really all the pieces seem to come be starting to come to play, fall into place for Payson, which is impressive. Um, yeah, I, I think the second half of this season is going to be really entertaining because, one, we're going to see a lot of these teams play each other. And we've been talking all about Illinois. We haven't even talked about Missouri yeah, right. side. But on that side of the river, you got the Palmyra teams who have both been really good. Highland girls continue to show progress. You know, and we're all those teams on that side of the river are going to see each other two, three, four times. South Shelby girls. South Shelby girls. Nice year. You know, so, I mean, it'll be interesting. I think the Palmyra teams are the ones that we have to really watch on the Missouri side right now in our coverage area. Um, but up and down the line, we've got a lot of teams that could be very dangerous in the postseason. And that, that's fun to think about the prospects. And think about this. We've spent all this time talking so far. We haven't even mentioned the QND girls because they didn't play during the holidays. <laughs> Deservedly so. Yeah. But 14 games in the first 21 days of December. Man. They're 17 and one. Um, and they've got a slew of home games coming up. Yes, they do. I mean, they, they start the new year on the road on Saturday. Um, at a shootout in Breeze where they play Oakville. And then it's like home game, home game, home game. Home. I mean, I think they have one road game after that. Yes. The rest of the regular season. Correct. It's crazy. Interesting how that all got backloaded. Played yeah. a lot of early season away games yes. and a lot of challenging games. I mean, Eric Warren, talking to him back during the volleyball season, he said there will be no shortage, and he always does this, of challenges right. for this this team, specifically early. And now, you know, I mean, some of the teams, that in some of the games that I watched, there were some high-caliber girls oh, basketball no players. Cardinal Ritter at the John Wood, yes. you know, uh, Rumble on the River was an outstanding team. Even the Moberly girls, the, the, who they played also in that same shootout. I believe in that good. 14 game stretch they beat seven ranked teams they went 13 and one in those 14 games the loss was to columbia rockbridge a state ranked team in missouri um at the sophie cunningham classic in their backyard yeah in their backyard which went right down to the wire yeah um and then they won of those other 13 wins seven of them i believe came against ranked teams yeah that's impressive <laughs> very impressive and this is a team that you know obviously they're the defending state champions 
So we expected a lot from them. But it's – I think even even to that degree, they're almost exceeding expectations by how well they've played. I agree, and it's fun to watch. Obviously, the, the print and, and the headlines and the highlights go towards Abby and, and Blair to some degree. Abby Shrek and Blair Eftink, but – Somebody, the three freshmen they have, um, yeah. you know, Abby, Abby Bueller has been fun to watch. Durst has been fun to watch. Peeper coming off the bench yep. has contributed. Um, you've got a sophomore, obviously, in Stratton. You've got an Eversman girl who's out with the with the knee injury. Yeah, imagine if Ez- Eversman and Quintero were healthy. Yeah, well, even Leah Quintero. Yeah, you, and, you kind of forget about what she brought. Well, and we table. talk about Wallingford. There's a chance Quintero could come back. Now, I don't know how, how realistic that is because, obviously, I know she's going to college to play soccer, so she wants to be healthy for the soccer season. But there's a chance she could help this team toward the end of the regular season, into the postseason, if she comes back healthy. We'll see what happens on that front. But um, it's a team that has found a way to, to be successful when they've lost some pieces. And it sure helps to have Abby Shrek. It just, I mean, let's face it. She, she's going to become, before the end of the season, barring anything catastrophic, the highest scoring player in Quincy history, boys or girls basketball. Wow. Passing. She's already she's already passed two thousand career points, right? Um, so she still has to pass Bill Kerr's, who's the leading scorer in Quincy Notre Dame boys history, and Ruth Kipping, the highest scoring player in Quincy High School girls history. And she's well on her way to doing that with as many games as they have left, right? So yeah, she's and and she had a COVID year in there. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Isn't that something crazy? Yeah. I mean, all kinds of people like that. You yeah. know, you talk about the Seth Anderson, a guy that had a COVID year thrown in there and yeah. still scored as many goals as he yeah. did. I mean, he now obviously his brother broke the scoring right. record with a COVID year for himself. <laughs> yeah. But Seth Anderson broke Gary uh, Ketter's career scoring record first with a COVID year in there and with a, with a year where he didn't play because of knee injury. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, exactly. Ima- imagine if he had been. Healthy, yeah, for four years and didn't have a COVID year. Whew. Yeah, that's what's fun to look back and it and is talk about all the talent and the rich talent that we've had in this area. Yeah. And Abby obviously is right in the Mount Rushmore yeah. of uh, athletes that we've been able to I've been fortunate to be able to watch. And I've seen I've seen Abby since she was six years old playing basketball. Right. So I mean, it, she's always been the greatest. You know, and it's always been fun to watch her progress. And now she's at an elite level. And I hope that you know next year and beyond is she even. Becomes even more elite, especially where she's going. Exactly, it's all that matters. She picked the right school. She, you know, definitely did that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so part of the holiday tournament fun is getting to travel, uh, especially for these teams. You go and you stay in a hotel, you hang out, you play in different gyms, maybe you don't normally see. Um, and the same for us. You know, we get to travel. You go, you go out to eat with your buddies from other places. Um, yeah, like for me going to Collinsville, I get to see Rick Hummel, yeah, uh, Dave Wilhelm, some of the other reporters I've covered games with now for a quarter century. Um, but part of that also is getting to see cool gyms. Uh, obviously, Virgil Fletcher Gym in Collinsville is historic because of all the success Collinsville has had. Um, and, and depends on where you go. I don't, I don't think State Farm Holiday Classic gives you that and as far as gym wise because the, no. the normal normal west and normal community in bloomington just yeah. aren't real great shirk center is a pretty cool gym it is but it's no not question. a high school gym it's right. a college gym um but it got me thinking and, and one of the things i wanted to throw at you so so i spent time at virgil fletcher obviously at one of those historic gyms that people talk about throughout illinois favorite gym you've covered a game at or cool gym you've covered again when, when you think of cool historic 
high school basketball places, what jumps out at you? The bowl in Jacksonville is my is my favorite, and you know I could I, I could say the ones in this area, but I'm going to just go out a little bit outside yeah. of our area. Um, has always been my favorite. I just love the feel of walking in street level, and you're at the top of the right. gym, and it's just down in the ground, and there's so much history there, and the way that it just encompasses the the court, and the court just seems old school, and it just it just has a awesome feel uh, for me. I've always enjoyed walking in there, and just it feels like you walk in and it's like you're sort of encapsulated by yeah. the tradition and the history and how many games have been played there. Well, and, and I think the way the building is set up, so obviously it's a bowl. Yeah. So there's not a bad seat in there for for one. So it's not, you know, you walk in some gyms, normal community, normal west. It's bleachers on each side, straight up, nothing on each side because there's walls. Yeah. There's no bleachers or, you know. No space on either off either baseline. But then you walk in the bowl and the lighting is set up to where the court is illuminated, but the walkway around is darker. Yeah. It just it gives you an ambiance that's really incredible. <laughs> it does. I, I agree. I mean it, all the focus is on the court. Yeah. Yeah. I just I've always enjoyed it there. I know you have a you love the Centralias and obviously the Pittsfields and, and, and you just mentioned Collinsville. Yeah. I, Jacksonville Bowl would be be high, probably among my top three. Uh, Wharton Fieldhouse in Moline, um, just an, as much history as there is there, and for the size of it, and you walk in, and you just feel like you're taking a step back in time to you know an era that's like, wow, this is neat. Imagine if this place was packed every single night. Yeah, you know, it seats seven thousand. I mean, it's huge <laughs> in there. It's really cool. Old Trout Gym in Centralia. Just dripped with history. It's. A, I mean, I know they have a, a really nice, fancy gym. Spectacular looking, you know, up-to-date, modern. Doesn't compare right. to, to old Trout Gym. It just doesn't. And the, the cool thing of, I had the opportunity to go to old Trout Gym, cover some games there, um, which was really neat. And you walk in the building, and there's stained glass window. And in, in the stained glass is a basketball player wearing an orphan jersey. It's just it's just it just so cool. Um there are a lot of really neat little gyms around here. Yeah. Um I haven't even mentioned Blue Devil Gym, but and that's a given, right? A I mean, given. do we need to expand? Everybody no. knows. I mean, that, but, that, but, that would be my probably my number one. I mean, if, if we were to rank them yeah. in places I want to go and see a game, that's number one. Same I mean, here. but I'm t- you know, Jacksonville's probably one B in that for I, me. And and Wharton would be one C. You know, those yeah, would be right. my three. Um, the interesting part is I've traveled the state covering basketball, specifically Quincy High School basketball, for the last twenty five years. So I've seen some really awesome gyms. I've seen Taylorville, yeah, which is a nice really one. cool gym. Champagne Central um, has an interesting gym. Um, you go down to the Metro East area. You go to O'Fallon, which has a dome, which is kind of cool. Um, obviously, we mentioned Virgil Fletcher Gym. Um, so I've been, you know, the Springfield area. I love Springfield Southeast gym. Mm-hmm. It's just, I just love the, the look of it. And, you know, when you walk in again, you walk in street level and there it is a little lower. It's yeah, just, right. it's just right. cool. Um, the one interesting part is I've covered a few games in the Chicago area, not a ton. And I'm sure there's some historic gyms that are really cool up there. I've just never been to right. 
Yeah, I, I, some of those public lake schools. Yeah, some of those Catholic some of those, schools. Some of those suburban schools. Right, yeah, you know, um, the one down south I want to make sure I get to is Pinckneyville, mm. Duster Thomas Gym. I, I think that would be a really cool place because of the history of Pinckneyville basketball. Yeah, I like Macomb too. I like the hangar at, at Macomb. Um, well, and again, the name that goes with it. Yeah, the hangar. It just <laughs> what a you know, Macomb's nickname is the Bombers. Yeah. So this is the hanger. It it just fits. It just it just adds to it. It does. Like we were joking in the fall of what should McCombs football field be called? The airstrip. Right. So you know, it need yeah. it and that you know, it, nothing's clicked. Right. The way the hanger does for the basketball gym. Correct. But the football field needs something like that it at does. Macomb. It does, because that's an outstanding place to yeah. to watch football as well. But I like the the bowl type. You know, like Lewiston has a nice gym. Bushnell yeah. Prairie City kind of had that bowl. Hamilton field. has that, right? So, yeah. yeah, you start you start piecing it together. It's it's pretty cool. It does, and it, that's it been a lot of brings fun. The feels, man. Yeah. It just brings the feels to everything. And that's that's a lot of fun of of holiday basketball. It's getting to see some of these other gyms and experience some of these other gyms, which is really neat. I would agree. I would agree. Okay, so interesting thing about Collinsville this yeah. year, they used the shot clock. Yes. So obviously, this is an experimental period for the IHSA. Um, to see how the shot clock will work, how, you know, how it fits. Um, they're going to use it for the Quincy shootout here coming up in a couple weeks. 35-second shot clock. I hardly noticed it, to be honest. I, I didn't look for it hardly at all because rarely did teams get down to where five, four, three, and you got to chuck a shot up just to beat the shot clock. Well, that 35 hardly, seconds is a long time. Yeah, exactly. And you, know, and you start thinking, and, and when you're in the flow of game, you're probably not holding the ball 35 seconds yeah. for, a, for a majority of it. Yeah, I mean, if teams press, though, then, then all of a sudden it takes you eight, nine seconds to get across the floor. Yeah. That's when I think it comes into the equation. You're down to the mid-20s yeah. to try and run an offense. The, the really interesting part was – on my way to Collinsville, so there were games going on, yeah. and there was a game that was coming down to the wire. I was listening to the the broadcast of it, and I thought, oh, they're going to pull the ball out. That was the first thing in my head because yeah. they were up, I think, three or four. They're going to pull the ball out. They couldn't. <laughs> um, and I, I think it was Rockford East against Collinsville. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And then it dawned on me, oh, they can't do that. It's a shot clock. Yeah. That's where it got in. It made teams continue to attack, and I thought that benefited the game. Scoring wasn't great uh, at the tournament. had nothing to do with the shot clock. Right. But I, but I thought teams had to continue to attack because of the shot clock. Look, Chuck, people don't come to watch defense. I mean, let's be yeah. honest. As a fan, I don't want to see a team pull the air out and just put it up at half court and wait for somebody to come guard them. No. And then all of a sudden they get into their offense, and a minute and a half later, the next team has a possession. Nobody wants to watch that. Nobody's coming to see that. It's right. like the NFL or the NBA. We want to see points. We want to see goals in hockey. We want to see goals in soccer. We don't want to see 24-22 in a high school basketball game. Nobody no. wants to see that. No, no, no. No. So let's speed it up. Let's get it going. Let's let's get the offense featured a little bit. Let's, you know, I know a lot of these kids aren't going to play college basketball. Only a very small fraction of them right. are going to, but they start to learn, those that are, start to learn to play with a shot clock. I think there's a lot of positive elements so to too. it as opposed to the, you know, the traditionalist who's going to say, Oh, we don't need that. You know, there's no, it's not necessary. You know, it's not like it's going to bring instant offense. And it may not. It may not up the total. But like you said, it's more possessions. You know, it doesn't allow a team to hold the ball in the final minute. They've got to execute. The kids thought nothing of it. Like, in in talking to the players, it wasn't like, 
oh my God, there's a shot clock. We got to, you know, they weren't thinking about the shot clock until it got into that, you know, those moments where, oh, shot clock's running down. We got to get a shot up. Right. But hardly ever did that happen. I, I believe there were, there were less than 15 shot clock violations in a 32 game tournament. Wow. It wasn't. That's not a lot at all. No, not at all. It, especially when you start thinking this is the first time some of these teams have ever played with a shot clock. Yeah. Some of these kids have ever played with a shot clock. I will say, however, it's going to be difficult because I've run a shot clock. Right. I mean, it's going to be difficult for those who have not operated a shot clock. There's going to be a learning curve yes. with all of this. Yes. And I assume the folks at Collinsville probably ran it pretty well, probably had some uh, you they know, did, training. But there were some moments where the officials had to get together and make sure they reset the shot clock the right way off a jump ball or a ball out of bounds or something. Yeah. So I think there's some some rules aspects of it that the officials have to get adjusted to, that the teams have to get adjusted to, that the workers, the score table it's workers. It's not easy. I mean, no. It's not easy running a shot clock. I, I, I've done it. I right. I've play. I've done it at a college environment where the speed is twice or three times as more as a high school game, and there's a lot more at, on the line, it seems, with a college basketball right. game as opposed to, to high school basketball. So that can bring a different element to it and when to reset it to 20 and when not and, yep. and, and who has possession. When is the ball officially in the possession of one team or the other, yeah. you know? Do they have to hold it for a second or two to actually have possession? Because Brad Hoyt yelled at me when I was running shot clock once. He didn't yell directly at me, but he told the officials, he said, I don't think the shot clock's right. And it was my error, I believe. So with that in mind, is there a rule you'd like to see changed or added or something? Obviously, we're working toward the shot clock being a part of high school basketball, a permanent part of high school basketball. Is there something that needs to change with the game? In your mind. I don't know. I mean, there's a couple of things, one off the wall and one sort of maybe they could be looked at. A lot of the clutching and grabbing and, and, and a lot of the hand checks. And I know yeah. they're trying to really put an emphasis on, you know, grabbing and, 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 right. and the hand checks and all of that kind of stuff. I don't, I'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff. I'd like to see them be a little bit more tighter on those kind of okay. uh, plays. This is a little off the wall here, Shuck. I'm going with okay. this one. I want to see coaches get paid more. I think there's a rule. There should be a rule where high school coaches get a little bit more money. Right now, we're we're losing coaches, yeah. you know, and we can't keep coaches because they don't pay for 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 anything. Um, so a little bit off the beaten path, okay. a little bit on that one. I just think high school coaches deserve maybe a little bit more money. Okay, I like that. That's 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 my thought. I would. I would agree with you on that. <laughs> they they pour a lot of time and effort into what they do year round. Hours that people don't see, right? When you're when you're when you're talking about film, much like teachers, yeah, you know, I agree. Teachers yeah. do the same thing. Year, I think people get that impression that they don't do a lot during the summer and stuff, but you think of how many hours they're working after school and that kind of stuff. So I, I think those kind of go hand in hand. I think it goes down to middle school coaches, and I mean, you know, those are hard positions yeah. to fill these days because right. they don't pay for anything. For me, I would like to see some consistency from level to level. Why are the college men the only level there is out there, period, that plays halves? Why aren't they playing quarters? Yeah. Every other college women do, professional men do, European men. I mean, you look everywhere. Games are played in quarters, except the college men. Why? Yeah, I don't understand it. Don't understand it. Be consistent. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I would. I'm, I'm, you don't, I'm totally you don't, you don't see that. any level of football with, oh, we're going to play halves here. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Like, it, uh, or baseball going, okay, we're going to break an inning into three parts instead of two. You know, right. You know, it's anything absurd like that. Why do the college men have to play halves when every other level of basketball, no matter where it's at, plays quarters? 
And a few less media timeouts, please. <laughs> Just keep the flow going. Right, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think your people in the uh, broadcast industry at the higher levels yeah. would like that because they're making they too not. much money. Yeah, I would agree, yes. <laughs> yes, but uh, being at a QU game recently, it seemed like there were just so many stoppages. And then we go to a John Wood game, and there's no media timeouts. Yeah. For, well, there are, but, I mean, it's the, the flow is just so different. Right, it is. I would agree. It's I would just, agree. So, anyway, um, with that in mind, yeah. if you have a question for us or a topic you want us to discuss, let us know. You can email us at sports at muddyrivernews.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter. We have Muddy River Sport on Twitter and Shuck Sports yeah. is my handle. Let us know. Hit us up. We'll, uh, we'll take the, uh, Mud- the Muddy River Breakdown mailbag. See if we get anybody any topics for us to we delve should give into away next week. something for the first person who comes up with a topic. You know, we got Muddy River T-shirts. There you go. You get a Muddy River T-shirt. The first person to email us, yes, sports at muddyrivernews.com. First person to email us with a topic, a question, something you want us to break down. Yep. You get a Muddy River T-shirt, or Muddy River Sports T-shirt. Maybe we'll have a contest someday where somebody can come on the microphone with us. Ooh. Be a third to this. We need to do that. I like that idea. Yeah. See, you're full of good ideas. Got to. Just got to bring as many to the table as possible. Dude, this has been started. This has been fun. It has. Thank you for having me. It's we'll do it again. Next week and every week, right? That's I'm here. Good. Yep. All right. For Ben Marth, I'm Matt Shuckman. This has been an episode of the Muddy River Breakdown. Join us again next week, right here. Muddy River Sports. Our home, our sports.